Hello and welcome back to the Real Professional Podcast, our Dread X collection collection. This is part one of our volume two collection. I guess this is technically part two of the volume two collection, but this is the, the first part of the second volume collection collection. Uh, if that's too confusing, don't worry about it. We're basically just doing a series of podcasts for the uh, DreadX Collection Volume 2, like we did for Volume 1, which, of course, all you lovely listeners already listened to all of those and formed your opinions on your favorite developers, some of whom are returning. So um, if you're not familiar and you're just checking this out for the first time, uh, we are Real Professional. It's the DreadXP podcast, and uh, we have been, as part of DreadXP, putting out this this series of Anthology games, kind of like an anthology film, but for games, called uh, the DreadX Collection. Uh, it's where we get a bunch of really, really talented indie developers together, together give them a, a pretty tight timeline on you know how long they have to work on it, and uh, see what they can come up with, what kind of creative, crazy, weird things. Um, the first one is already out available on Steam. You can find that. It's just DreadX Collection on Steam. Got great reception on that one. So uh, we're working on number two. So we got a couple of the devs from number two here today. Uh, we got Steve Gabriel, also known as Parvel Moose, and uh, Mike Thomas, who's also, I, I guess he also goes by Lone Wolf. Uh, That's what his Discord says, at least. We'll find out when we do the pod what else he likes to go as. But uh, they together collectively are work for Wither Studios, which uh, put out another game previously called Amir, uh, which we did a giveaway for a while ago. Pretty cool game. We'll find out some more about that, too. I have some Amir questions, and uh, it's my podcast, so no one can tell me not to ask them. So anyways, without further ado, DJ... Drop that sick Steve, Mike, how are you doing today? We're doing good. How are you doing? I am doing great. And uh, once again, we are joined by co-hosts uh, Jesse and Star over here. Howdy. Hello. Cool. So we will be once again doing the, the pyramid of uh, good questions, rambling, and then uh, bad questions about dinosaurs, which is kind of the, the, the trio that we've got going on over here. Yeah. Jesse always asks questions about dinosaurs, just so you all know. I try. Yeah, good thing I'm a dinosaur expert. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, you guys today are working on uh, here to talk about the game that you worked on for the Dreadx Collection, Touched by an Elder God. Outer God. Outer God. Fuck. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> we almost went with the Elder God. Yeah, we did actually. Yeah, cool. yeah. We talked around both ideas. Yeah. What made you go with Outer God rather than Elder God? That sounds better. <laughs> the yeah. in depth decision making process of eh, I just liked it more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I was just like, ah, oh, Steve, I like both of these. Just whatever you want. And he was like, oh, yeah, th this one sounds better. So, <laughs> well, you guys, uh, so the, the people at home who are listening right now, the millions and millions of fans, uh, they have uh, no idea what we're talking about with what is touched by an outer god. So, why don't you give us your elevator pitch? It's a it's an action FPS horror game where you uh, kill monsters and eat their body parts to get new upgrades. 
but it's also like a roguelike. It's sort of like a roguelike, yeah. So upgrades are random. Uh, enemies are semi-random. Are the stages uh, random? The stages are not. We were going to do that, but that was like... We already went pretty ambitious with this for the short development period. Yeah, I'd say. I was playing it and I was like, this is strangely ambitious for the short development time. So, you know, at least our thoughts are aligned there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of hours. Yeah, we we crunched a lot of hours. Yeah, I kind of like I wasn't I was I kind of hope that people don't kill themselves over this project, but um if it continues to put out games as good as uh, Touched by the Outer Gods, then I'm willing to make some sacrifices, and this is how Naughty Dog gets made. Just the little oh, choices like this over time. Oh, yeah. There's a zinger. Yeah, but the difference is it's our choice because we, we want it to be good. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so I have a question. Um, like, is that how you usually work? Or it, is that, um, let me rephrase that. Did you feel like a little bit of pressure just because you knew you were going to make something with other developers and it was all going to be put together as a package? Um... I don't know if I personally felt pressure from that. I mean, of course, there's some, you know, desire to make it good so that we're not the crappiest game in the collection. Uh, <laughs> I would say we don't usually crunch this hard, um, but we wanted to, like, stick with the idea we had. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, like, uh, coming into this, uh, really the thing that I wanted to do was just like enjoy making something new uh and like putting a lot of hours into it it's just i don't know i I think it's just it it was fun the whole time i was never like oh man this this sucks i don't want to do this anymore it was the entire time i was like oh man i i'm gonna do the i'm gonna do this sweet uh new feature like oh i get to do this now like this is all a lot of fun so i enjoyed the whole thing yeah We've been making like uh, like side scrollers for a while now, so we, this was like a cool new thing for us to try. Well, yeah, because you guys, uh, what you're talking about with the uh, you know working on something new, because you guys have worked on um, well, Steve, you did Sally Face, but uh, as as Wither, you guys did uh, are working on Immure, right? Yeah. Which, as far as I know, you're still working on, or what's the the, the story there? Yeah. Uh, so we did. Uh, part one for the game, and then we're working on part two right now. Uh, and actually, before we did a mirror, we worked on uh, another game, a mobile game called Chrome and Wolf Boy, which was also a side scroller. So, like, <laughs> up to this point, all side scrollers. Yeah, you guys, did, you guys did Chrome and Wolf Boy, which is uh, uh, really uh, underappreciated. I think I, I thought that was a really, really unique and visually kind of striking game. Thanks. Yeah, it was unfortunate. We couldn't like, uh, we hit like a weird timing with it. So it was hard to take off mm-hmm. and like the mobile market was just kind of garbage at that point and you pretty much had to do free to play to make any money and we didn't really want to do that mm-hmm. yeah because um the let's see uh that game released let me 2017 uh 2013 oh 2013 okay oh yeah yeah chrome boy is pretty old yeah, yeah, yeah. That might have been the Steam. We, we, we put a Steam version out as well. That might be when the Steam one launched, maybe. Or the Android version. I don't know. Yeah, because I just oh, looked it up on Android. Steam, and it was 2017 uh, okay, for the yeah, Steam yeah. version. 
Yeah, because I thought it was older than that. I was like, wow, am I, is my perception of time just like completely messed up as my brain finally reaches like, reaching the final stages of gamer brain and I just like can't tell when things came out anymore. Um, uh, but I, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, the, the mobile market is like, it's hard to even talk about because like, do you guys remember the day when like mobile games were like going to be the future and everyone was talking about how like mobile is going to like, you know, push the industry forward and you can tell these like super emotive stories and it's going to drop development costs down to almost nothing. And now it's just all like Chinese hacking games like that are just designed to like make you watch ads and steal your information. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I had a very different experience than you. I've had everybody tell me that mobile was going to fail and mobile was just for casual players. And, uh, you know, I, I heard nothing but negative things about mobile, except for people uh, with, like, twirling mustaches. Well, I mean, I'm talking about the time of the time of the development when, like, in Infinity Blade was coming out and stuff, or uh, Horn was another one that was, like, a really... Or um, was a night, walk, walk in the Woods? Not, no, not a Night in the Woods. Um, Year Walk. There we go. Year uh, Walk. That was a cool one. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the thing is that like everyone remembers these like really, really cool mobile games. Um, there was also this like kind of escape room kind of game called, I think it was just called The Room or something like that. Um, that was really good. So there's like, I mean, I remember there was this period of time where um, people were talking about how mobile was like the way of the future and that it was going to like, first off destroy portable console, like, handheld consoles like the, the, the Game Boys or whatever, um, which it kind of did. Um, but like the, the weird thing is, is that like the game landscape on the mobile is, is, is just a barren wasteland now, except for Raid Shadow Legends, which is sponsoring this podcast. You should play Raid Shadow Legends. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're not sponsoring yeah, it. Do you want to talk about like your guys' insight into like mobile development and like, like what you would like to see horror on mobile games? Uh, horror on mobile is probably uh, well. I mean, the, the thing about the horror genre is you, you can do pretty much anything with it. So, uh, I think there's probably some interesting things you could do on mobile with horror. I mean, there people have done interesting things for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, like Chrome and Wolf Boy was kind of like a, I wouldn't say it's a horror game. Uh, it's certainly not, but like it kind of has that like dread feel to it. I'm gonna use the word dread there. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think you could still probably do something with it. Um, like, if, if there's something, like, story-related on mobile, uh, I think you could probably make something interesting. But you could do some creepy things, like have it text you at random times or call you. Yeah, I think at that point it's, like, an ARG, though. Or, um, yeah. It's, like, beyond a game. <laughs> what? We can mix genres together and different way i think interactive storytelling right like is i don't know or like websites games i've heard that argument before yeah i mean i'm sure people have, I, th those things have to exist right there's no way like <laughs> we just thought of that you guys just invented ARGs in this yeah. podcast <laughs> <laughs> whoa hasn't anyone thought of this before <laughs> I, I think that, um, like, okay, so what you're saying about the, the, the mobile games, right, and, like, the ARGs and stuff is, 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 like, lateral thinking where you're like, hey, let's use the qualities of the phone to try to expand upon our ability to tell a cool story, you know? Like, and that's, like, the, the, the lightest timeline. Like, the best way that mobile games can be made is with this, like, idea of, like, what's, what kind of functionalities the tech have and how do I use that to make a cool thing? But, like, really what has actually happened is that capitalism ruined it all and we're like, hey, you know, with a, with a mobile game, you have ads in your pocket all the time.
time and they just went hard into that route where it was like instead of using it as like a positive tool to like tell more immersive interesting innovative stories like it'd be so cool to like play a ghost game where like you know you have these like kind of like pokemon go but for ghosts and then to like have it be like so that if you have like a location that has a ghost quote quote has a ghost then you can like upload that to the app and when people come to your establishment they'll be able to see the ghost and like have a little history and then maybe you get like a 10 percent off coupon because like i know a lot of bars are haunted or whatever because people get drunk and talk about how bars are haunted uh like that'd be like a really cool idea but instead it's just like hey let me steal all your information and and sell it and like that's just the direction that we went with it well well there's money to be made like people will take that and you know like but it did help help establish the game industry to to what it is now from outside companies because before it was something that little kids did you know, and it was something that only guys did was games. And then mobile market came around and then all of a sudden your grandma could play a solitaire. Yeah, but I don't think that. Okay, so accessibility is like important, like, you know, and I'm not talking about accessibility and like the, the making key, key rebinding. I'm talking about like how accessible the market is for like new players and stuff. Um, but I think that like, you know, people have been entering the games industry for a really long time and it's like not... And, and we've seen a lot of games that don't necessarily appeal to the, the typical demographic. And I'm not necessarily saying that I think that it has anything. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm not smart enough to make points on this. But I, I'm trying to I'm trying to uh, be really smart by warping this into a question about Sally Face because uh, Sally Face was a game <laughs> that uh, uh, had a very unique kind of like visual style and it didn't necessarily appeal. Like one of the reasons I think that Sally Face did so well is like it doesn't really appeal to your typical like hooting chud call of duty players you know yeah for sure it's it's kind of more similar to games like um what's that game that i really liked that people tell me i'm not a real gamer for liking uh gone home uh like you know gone home was like a largely like people like really complained about it not having like the mechanics of a real game or whatever and uh like sally face is like seems to be like a game that is unconcerned with convention and kind of just goes completely off the rails and that's why people fucking love it you know yeah for sure i just i wasn't really worried about conventional things or like stuff that you're supposed to do or you know what's trending or any of that like it was just kind of started as a project that i just this is something i want to make so i'm gonna make it you know yeah yeah but i do think that um you know it has so this is like when we when we first started this project, right? Like the uh, the Dreadx Collection Volume Two, we we're bringing all the developers in. Like uh, it was funny because um, like gamers like my age, thirties plus, uh, are like, which wait, what, let me look up Sally Face, and then they find out that it's a huge following. But everyone that like has a kid on the project was like, oh, my kid loves that, you know? Yeah. But it's not like a kid's game. <laughs> so why do you think it is that you that 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 specific visual style? appeals to this kind of uh i wouldn't say like preteen demographic but like yeah i guess like you're, the, the the demographic that it appeals to tends um it's the, the people that like that game start liking it younger you get what i mean by that yeah i think a big part of that was just because it was so popular with uh streamers and youtubers and like that those like viewerships are very young do you think that's the only reason? You don't think that there's like something to do with the visual style or whatever? I think the visual style probably was part of it, but 
I mean, the visual style is also inspired by like 90s cartoons. So I feel like hmm. it's also what grabbed like our generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could definitely see that. I think it has, I, I, I would say that the, 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 like the game has a lot that you can read into, but not heavy handed messaging. When did it come out? <laughs> uh, well, I've been working on this since 2015, and I released it in five episodes. So, mm. first one was 2016, the last one was just last December. Yeah, that was a good time for horror, that time period. People were, that was like really getting up there with streamers. So, I can totally see how it like kind of rode that rave, uh, wave there. And also, it looks unique compared to all those others. So, that makes sense. It's really so, good. It's a really good game. <laughs> So like do you but so it, it sounds like like do you kind of just like you just have an idea and you just make it and then you just see what happens. You don't you don't put a lot of like where do you put a lot of the thought and care into? Like what do you do for like research? Um Well for me it's more about like what story do I want to tell and like what art do I want to make? Um for mm -hmm. me it's more about like the art the artistry of making a game rather than um what's going to like be a hit game mm -hmm. uh, obviously i want to make money off of it but to be honest with them when i started Solifaced, that wasn't really my goal with it because i was working at wither still and then since Solifaced just happened to make money then i went on that full time i think if it didn't make money it would have been scaled down a little bit and it would have taken much longer Longer than it already did, didn't it take like five years? Yeah, <laughs> taking longer because I would have had to keep a day job. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. As far as research, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not. I mean, I research like things like, um, like the best ways to like market the game and stuff. But as far as building the game, um, I, tr I don't know. I don't really do research. I guess. <laughs> Okay, did you, was there ever a point when making it that you were like, this is like too gross or someone's not going to like this? Like, did you ever self-censor? No, no, I'm not really concerned with that. Like, there's going to be like some people who are grossed out by certain things or people who don't like certain things. Well, that's one of the things that I saw carry through to um, Touched by an Outer God. Is that like? You guys, like, start off the game right away with something pretty gruesome. I was like, oh, <laughs> I was a bit, I was, like, kind of surprised, you know? Yeah. yeah. I guess we should probably talk a little bit about exactly what the game play is. So, like, basically the game starts off and your character gets accosted by, uh, I'm, I'm assuming is the outer god uh, that therefore touches you um, and loses a hand and then has to eat monsters to regrow it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and that just kind of leads to its own whole pile of things that you can do in the game. <laughs> yeah. I With this game, it was like uh, me and Steve just bouncing lots of ideas off of each other. So it's like an escalating type of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, what if we do this? Oh, you know, it'd be cool. Like, what if she loses her arm too? Oh, sweet. You know, if we do that, she could regrow it. <laughs> like stuff like that. <laughs> 
I mean, it is pretty cool. I, I really do like. It's kind of funny though, because like last time we did this, um, the Dreadx collection, we had like one shooter of the bunch, and it was kind of the the odd man out. And this time around, we have like four or five shooters, and yours is your guys is one of them. Yeah, that's actually. I was pretty surprised by that. Uh, I didn't think there was gonna be so many shooters. Uh, maybe, maybe that's why so many people did shoot because they were like, oh, you know what? There was like only like. Uh, a couple in the first one so maybe you know we'll just go that route yeah maybe it's a lovecraftian thing like the lovecraft theme uh i mean you could put it into a shooter like we did but like that's not the first thing that would come to mind to most people i would assume mm-hmm. yeah I, I didn't expect you guys to uh make a shooter um but it turns out that everyone made a shooter this time not everyone but you know enough did <laughs> that uh but luckily twitch streamers fucking love shooters so we'll be we'll be good in that demographic I don't know. It's, it's very appealing to developers to make shooters. That there's something inherent about game design and shooters. Well, I mean, bang bang shoot shoot is pretty fun. Like it is a entertaining. <laughs> so yeah, I've run a lot of communities for a lot of game devs, and I cannot tell you how many FPS shooters, how many um, space shooters, like, uh, and of course, like Zelda clones, there are. Uh, it, it just like it's just one of those genres that just like mechanically just people like to sit down and make them as much as like play them yeah i think there's just something really satisfying about the mechanics of like moving the camera around and shooting stuff or moving the character around and swinging a sword and there's so much you can do with that yeah Mm -hmm. yeah fighting fighting is super fun it's just unfortunate that in real life it like hurts that's yeah, my insight. That's my insight for the pod. There you go, guys. <laughs> Life is going to be so much better when we can be all robot bodies, and then we'll all just be robot jocks. What was the, what was the movie where? What was that movie where the robots box each other? Um, robot jocks is like with giant robots, but what was the one that had like uh, real steel with Hugh Jackman? Right. Oh, oh yeah. I've never actually saw that. Wow. I can't believe you remembered that. I can't either. I have no idea how my brain works. I didn't remember that until I started making the joke, and then my synapses were like, I got you, fam, and then they just, like, backed me up. It was real good. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, when everyone can be robot boxers, then we won't need video games anymore. We'll all move into the robot boxing game. <laughs> that sounds super fun. I'll do it. Uh, um, so on a more serious question, um, I, I do have those sometimes. Uh, you you guys are like you know storytellers kind of like you, you very clearly aren't in this for uh, the fat stacks of cash that I, I pay all the developers um, yeah everyone gets loaded off of the DreadX collection but uh, you know like when you're when you're thinking about uh, how to create a, an interesting story or an interesting space to like express yourself in like do you think of it like mechanically focused or do you think of it narratively focused like do you think of like here's a cool story that I want to tell or do you think of like here's a sandbox of ideas of like gameplay ideas I want to implement Let's figure out a story that fits within that. Actually, you know what's funny is uh, Steve made like a Google Doc where we uh, like uh, he like because we, we we were just like writing down a bunch of ideas at first. So he put down a bunch of ideas and then I added some. And I think it's I think what's what was funny about that was like all of his ideas were narrative and then mine were like you could tell I was like oh what would be a like gameplay wise uh, so like my I, a couple I wrote because I was like oh I want to do an RTS how about this one like oh a first person shooter how about this one. Uh, and like my, I think my ideas even mentioned they were, they were like, oh, it'd be like this type of thing, where his were like more open, like you know, let's do this type of story type of thing. So I think 
for me, I definitely probably go more mechanics, and then he goes more narrative. I don't know how you feel about that, Steve. Is that is that yeah, correct? Yeah, I, I usually have like a narrative, narrative forward thinking when it comes to designing games, but sometimes it is like um, there will be times where I get an, a mechanic idea, but it is usually like focused around the narrative. Yeah, I mean that's that's uh, I I just always find that that to be kind of fascinating, like how we reach our final products, like. Because they're they're both like very tenable ways to create a game. Is like wanting to tell a story first versus wanting to make gameplay first. I guess it's just good to find a you know a working partner that you can like, has the, the other side that like, can fill in all your all your gaps. Sure. So you guys have. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say, can you give me any like as I should say us any details, uh, like a specific moments that you're really proud of as a developer, uh, narratively speaking. Um, for Touched by Another God? Uh, for for any game or oh. in your career. Um, hmm, that's a good question. Uh, well, I can say that for uh, for me, um, I'm I, I mean I'm I'm really proud of Amir and I. Uh, uh, Amir actually, so it actually started as a solo project of mine, like similar to like you could look at how like uh, Steve did Sally Face, only he just kept doing it by himself. Uh, Amir was a solo project of mine, but then when Wither was like, oh, we need a new project, I pitched the idea to everyone, so like you know it grew into something more than what I was just doing. But uh, a lot of the core ideas of the story that I had were kind of are still in there, and so like I'm really proud about how the game. Uh, is uh is coming out and the story direction and like and any a lot of people when they talk about um like when they like when we mention like oh this is the setup of the game uh there's like a few elements that people are always like oh that's really cool i really like that and we've been hearing that since like we first started playing game off so for me i'd say it'd be like a mirror story i'm really proud of that well quote uh, what's up so. real quick so you guys are, are speaking very vaguely here you guys are not getting any specific details. We want details. Like, uh, there's a location, there's characters, there's stuff happening. How does it fit all together? How do you do world building? You know, like, what's a specific instance uh, and mm. in the story? Because, uh, like, just saying, oh, I made a good story and I like it. Like, that doesn't, people are just like, what is the story? What is interesting about it? What, why are you proud of it? You know, why is this different from so many other games out there? Oh yeah, uh, I can give you a more specific answer. Um, so with Amir, something I wanted to do was uh, I wanted to give myself the ability to tell what like any type of story I wanted. Essentially, like I wanted to um, be like, oh, I want to, I want to look at, the, I want to take these themes and then write a story around it and then put it into this game and this and then these completely separate themes and then also put it into the game. Uh, so the way the the mirror is set up is like you play as this main character. He's trapped in this uh, match, and you have to go through these different doors. And each door is like its own story. So in a way, it's like an anthology. Like I'm, I've actually always been a really big fan of anthologies. So I was like, how about I package that all into like uh, one one product, and like uh, you know do whatever I want with each one, so that way they can be different. Um, so I'd say that. Uh, I'm really glad I went with that idea, and I think it turned out pretty well, or is turning out well, anyways. I think that um, 
sorry, not to derail the 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 point that you were making, but um, when we're talking about like the anthology uh, collection thing, um, and kind of Star brought this up earlier, was like, what do you like? How do you consider what you're trying to tell um, when you're trying to like when you know that there's going to be like twelve other games, you know? Um, but also like, how do you tell a story in such like a short period of time? So like, how did you guys go about like crafting the narrative so that it would like stand out punch like within that because the game only takes like what like an hour to to beat and i'm kind of like calculating in one or two deaths here and there yeah uh so i I think steve was actually the one who mainly filled in the narrative uh because like um for me i was mainly kind of focused on the uh uh, like the the features and the actual like gameplay Mm. um because well I, i was the programmer on the project so like i did you know all of that stuff so and then that let steve time to kind of do what he wanted to do with the narrative and uh and the art as well so uh go ahead steve take it away we don't where we okay we switched to outer god yes yeah outer god Um, that's what we're talking about right outer god yeah yeah no i'm talking about like so steve specifically the question was um when you have like uh, such a short time frame to tell your story and you're also packaged in with 11 other stories uh plus the secret one we haven't told anyone about yet shh uh once you uh when you have that um how do you like make sure that your story like conveys a message has some punch is interesting with such a short time frame um for this product um i mean we tried to just keep it like very simple um so because like we were saying like we wanted to make more of an action game and our, our focus was on making sure that we could we could do that right since was a new thing for us so the narrative wasn't as much of a focus as it is in our other projects but um yeah i think we tried to add voice acting which we haven't we haven't um, done before so i think that kind of helps convey like some character um and just we also added um little backstory pieces with like hidden letters within each level has a hidden letter you can find Mm. Um, so that way it's not kind of like interrupting the gameplay which is like action-y but for people who want to kind of find out more about the world they can look for these little letters well yeah and it's not just the letters you also have like hidden art pieces as well like the drawing on the wall you can interact with yeah there's a couple little uh little things like that you could find and little uh, contact sensitive things like she look if you look at the blood in the first level she'll she'll make a comment about it mm-hmm. uh, we have a little chroma wolf boy reference in there oh yeah that's that's what that was i was like okay now i figured it out <laughs> <laughs> i was like i wonder what that was um okay it totally just clicked it all clicked into place it feels good the, the legos of my brain are finally uh all connected um but yeah, like the the so there's there's something that happens though over the course of the game with the the characters kind of voice uh, uh, changing as it goes on. Was was there what was the balancing act that you kind of were trying to play between making it so that you were hinting towards something happening versus not spoiling uh, uh, the inevitable conclusion? Um. Yeah, we mainly just wanted to back up that she is changing and it is changing her. Um, you are kind of, you're kind of seeing it visually through her hands too. We we actually had um, like the upgrades UI 
original concept was going to be have this little mannequin that like changed every upgrade you get, but that that was one of the things we cut just to save time. Um, but yeah, throughout the game, uh, another thing that we were going to do was have it kind of like progressively um, ramp up as far as your voice and like her player sounds and stuff, but we didn't quite have time to get that in, so it just kind of um, at a certain point, once you do like upgrades, then she will become like more monstrous and her voice starts changing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I definitely noticed that. I didn't know if it was an upgrade thing or if it was based on like how far through the game you were. Um, it is, it's, it's a little bit of both in a simple way. Um, but yeah, it's only if you, yeah, if you get the upgrades. Yeah, I mean, uh, not to spoil anything, but technically the game has two endings. Mm. Yeah. That's Spooky. good. Yeah. Okay, question for you, Ted. What would you think that uh, Steve's signature narrative style is? Like, if you were to play a game and you're like, this is like, this is like a Steve game, what, okay. what would it be that's distinctive about him? So uh, I would say anything with a cell shaded art style is is like I'm just I'm going to assume that it's a Steve Gabriel game, even though he, he, he might not have worked on it. Just anything with a cell shaded art style. <laughs> um, he's a fan of rock music. Uh, he really enjoys putting it in in his games. Uh, and I would say anything with a, um, so anything that subverts a message, like a message about family, but it's also like about violence and darkness. Like, uh, 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 there's no, um, I would say that if, if, uh, I, I'm playing a game that is, and I'm basing a lot of this off of Sally face, um, subverting the expectations and leaving you without a happy conclusion is, like, because every game that has something dark or sinister in it, there's always this light at the end of the tunnel that you eventually, like, you're hoping that the hero reaches. Whereas on the, and I'm trying to say all this without spoiling Sally Face, because I, I think it's very, like, you know, it's it's not old enough that it's, like, good to spoil it. Um, but, like, any, if you're hoping for a light at the end of a tunnel in your game, you're going to not get that. But what you're going to need to be getting is something very satisfying instead um, in a completely different way. But it might completely gut you when it happens. Oh, God. Yeah, is that a, is that a good description of you, Steve? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I was also going through like a lot of personal hardships while making that game, so I kind of dumped a lot of that into the story. I mean, as as all creatives do. Mike, did, was Mike, was that a good description of Steve? You've known him for longer than me. Oh yeah, yeah, and I would also add uh, like uh, gross, <laughs> gross. <laughs> gross. He likes yeah. his gross stuff. Yeah, you're like, but you're gross not in the, like, um, you're gross in that, like, kind of Ren and Stimpy or Garbage Pail Kids way. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, that type of gross for sure, yeah. Yeah. You're not like, how many genital warts can I put on this character? It's like, uh, but you're like, this character's gross and icky and, like, like the, the, I'm trying to, like, the pony in the episode one, it's, like, very gross. <laughs> why is it, I'm so curious, I've had, okay, why is it so appealing? Why is gross... The early '90s, Beavis and Butthead, like Nickelodeon, like Red and Stimpy. Why is that so appealing? This is an open question to the group. Yes, yeah. <laughs> to everyone, because I've never personally gotten that. I grew up, I yeah, I grew up in the early '90s, um, and I remember all the shows. I watched all of them. I thought they were entertaining, but it, it sticks with some people for a long time. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is about them. I, it might be just be because, like, uh, 
they were diff so different from other, like, you know, like Looney Tunes or like the other cartoons that weren't gross. <laughs> I think that for for a lot of people, there's a kind of an innocence to it. There's like a nostalgia for it because like, as it was, I remember looking at uh, like, you know, Mad Magazine and the Garbage Pail Kids and things like that as a kid and thinking I was seeing something that was like, oh, adults, this is like what adults like, you know, even though like adults think it's stupid. Like it's, it's something specifically that just kids like, but just kids liked, but it made it seem like it was something that adults like that kids were just kind of peering into now that we're like, now that we're the adults, like we still like it, but um, like our kids will like things that they think that adults like, like I would bet, I would be willing to bet that most kids think that Fortnite is a grown up game. Really? Probably true. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be totally willing to bet that. Cause they, they, you know, they had like they and cause like Fortnite wears these airs of like being serious. Like they have concerts and stuff. Like, oh, I got to go see a Dead Mouse concert? That's something that adults do, even though I don't know any adults that willingly go to Dead Mouse concerts at this Dead point. Mouse. <laughs> if you're over 20, you're a boomer. Yeah, I know, right? But they like they recently had a discussion on race in Fortnite hosted by Killer Mike. Have you did you see this? No. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, they, they yeah. That was that was beyond i mean i didn't attend it obviously because why would i ever you know download this game that i'm never gonna play just to see <laughs> a lecture but uh yeah i mean just the concept of that that's where killer mike and all these people thought that their best platform to get the word out would be i'm also back by the way sorry i uh Hey, Jesse, welcome back. But I, I don't think that they're necessarily wrong. Like, if you want to reach a bunch of kids and talk about, like, how Black Lives Matter and, like, hey, maybe we shouldn't, like, be racist, like, going directly to Fortnite is, like, a bold move, but it's also probably highly effective. If you want to reach out to people who you know for a fact are racist, the Fortnite player audience is without a doubt. I, I don't know Fortnite. PUBG probably, though. Yeah, PUBG definitely. Oh, yeah, PUBG. Thinking about, uh... uh What's his name? PewDiePie and his heating gaming, heated gaming moments. Yeah. Those were the days. Yeah, I don't know what it is about, uh, you know, otherwise great people that when they play video games, all of a sudden they just have these weird opinions. It's so strange that they just have to say on stream because they were upset, you know? Don't worry about it. Anyways, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of my hot take on why I think that the gross kind of, that old school style of art is it has stuck more than like the thundercat style of art you know like that old kind of 80s style of animation because like those were also cartoons that i watched as a kid but the ones mm -hmm. that have kind of like that people now try to recreate like no one's trying to draw he-man like it was he-man from the 80s because that was really bad <laughs> <laughs> you know what i would definitely play that game <laughs> I didn't they try to reboot Dragon's Lair in a very similar way? Ooh, yes. Because Dragon's Lair has that kind of old school style visuals. There's the Dragon's Lair trilogy on Steam. I should really learn how to mute my mic better because it all comes up like clackety clack. Did you ever play Dragon's Lair? Those old, those old button press oh, yeah. games. Absolutely. It was the animated by Don Booth. Luth. Yes, it was yeah. a Don Booth production. Yeah. Yeah. And the space ace and the, all those things, and the gameplay was like super hard because you got to put those quarters in. But man, was that animation smooth! Which is the opposite of He Man, which is very stiff and robotic and like Hanna Barbera esque. 
Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Is like that kind of stiff robotic factory animation. No one's trying to replicate now. Like maybe they're trying to like make He Man, He Man, and bulky, but like the animation's much smoother now. Like the technology has come too far. We cannot go backwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless they're trying to do a parody or something, like very intentionally trying to do that. Yeah. Yeah, but there's other ways around it. Like you can make Doki Doki Literature Club where they're just like faces that animate just a little bit. You don't have to have them actually walking around doing stuff. <sighs> yeah, I never played Doki Doki Literature Club, which I know is a sin because uh, I know, right? It's free too. I have no excuse. I just suck. Um, <laughs> it's like you're busy and uh, it's a game. That's true. <laughs> There's this anime that came out in 2006 called uh, The Melancholy of Haru Shizumiya. And that game is pretty Nerd. much that that <laughs> anime. Like, I played this game on stream live. And like, and all these kids came into my stream to watch me play this. And I was just like, wow, this is such a ripoff of an anime that came out in 2006. But, you know, it's since it happened so long ago, I, I don't think that they were banking on anyone to remember. You know, I'm going to go full gamer on this and say that uh, all animes are actually just Fist of the North Star clones. That's the, that's the oldest anime I, I know. I don't know if there's any anime I before that. North Star, not what? Dragon Ball. Was Dragon Ball before Fist of the North Star? No, but it was much more influential as far as like. Oh, like, but not on me because I love Fist of the North Star because it's like I actually don't know the story. I just know that it's jacked dudes, and I loved jacked dude. I love jacked dudes <laughs> animes. Yeah, who, uh, who so you love probably love JoJo's Bizarre Adventure then. Yeah, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is the hottest, like for sure. <laughs> what did you say? Sorry. I think they were talking to Jesse. Jesse, what were you saying? Oh, I was. Uh, um, I was going to say that uh, the same way people say that, like. X is the Dark Souls of whatever genre. Ted uh, says that about uh, Fist of the North Star. Like Akira <laughs> is Fist of the North is like cyberpunk Fist of the North Star. Uh, JoJo is um, glam Fist of the North Star. Yeah, fabulous Ooh. Fist mm-hmm. of the North Star. I would one hundred percent watch an anime called Fabulous Fist of the North Star. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna edit this out of the podcast so that we can uh, capitalize on that. <laughs> No, but I, I I like I like that older style of anime where the 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 protagonists were all just like very very bulky because like anime now is like all the well not all of the anime there's also like Baki and like things like that but there's like uh like most anime protagonists now are like um very skinny uh like teenage boys but I I, I like and then they fight and I'm like that's not realistic although I, I guess I'm talking about the realism of Saiyans flying around shooting lasers out of their hands but I like I like my fictionalized uh alien fighting combat men to be just bulky as shit like veins everywhere just jacked and i'm not i I don't know i may maybe i'm a little gay for it maybe a little bit i don't know i just think it's hot whatever no homo uh (laughs) full full bi Uh, my goodness where did this conversation come from Ted, what are we doing? No homo, I just want my animes to be all jacked dudes, bro. Like, all jacked. It's just, like, all sweaty and real jacked. I don't know. I just, I, I think it's fun. you recognize your own biases of, like, what, what okay. you think is influential to the rest of the world? Here's why I like it. And I'll, I'll, this will make me sound smarter. Because people spend so much time drawing anime women characters to be hypersexualized. I like it when the men have an equal attention to their, like, every muscly detail. That's... That's that's equality, and that's the future. 
Because we're not going to have people stop being pervs. That's never going to happen. I mean, people have been pervs forever, so we just have to have the equality of pervitude. But we could try. <laughs> we should try. You're so young and hopeful. <laughs> um, yeah, but that reminds me a lot about uh, these games that we're supposed to be talking about. What are we talking about, by the way? How do we get here? I... <laughs> Oh Star, what did you do? We were talking about garbage pail kids. I do? <laughs> You're talking. To, you were talking about uh, Dragon Slayer, and the let us down the animation. Yes, but how about? <laughs> do you guys play video games, Steve? What's your favorite video game? Well, I want to. I just wanted to ask before we get into that. I want to ask them, like, what are your guys's influences? Like, what are other games that you guys play that actually uh, inspires you to make your own kind of games? Um, I, I guess I'm inspired by a lot of older games like you know, Ocarina of Time, Resident Evil 4, um, Eternal Darkness. I think those three in particular had a pretty big impact in me, especially Ocarina of Time kind of was like the first quote-unquote serious game I played that wasn't like just like the platformer. So I think those have kind of stuck with me. Uh, it feels weird to say Resident Evil 4 is, a, is an old game. Uh, it is though but it is yeah it is it's just like what when Steve said that I was like what oh, oh man it is an old game it's pretty yeah. old yeah yeah it uh, came out well, 15 years ago Jesus yeah wow like on every platform ever uh, <laughs> so yeah for me influences um like I, I I'd go back to some of the games that like got me into gaming which would be like the first Metal Gear Solid when mm -hmm. I played that game, that was the game that got me for sure. Like, like, oh, I, like, video games can be whatever they, they can be whatever they want to be, type of thing, right? So that's like when I got really hooked into it. And then um, I've always been a big fan of horror, uh, so I played the Resident Evil, Resident Evil games, the old ones, one, two, and three. Um, so yeah, it's just I have a lot of influences, and there's in games like right now I could like drop like um uh like the, the Cat Lady. Actually, I think me and Steve have like, oh. mentioned we talked about the Cat Lady as a uh, for the art style for uh, this game. Yes. That's under God. Okay, yeah. Can you? Okay, so you see the trailer for the Cat Lady. You know it's a dark tale, um, and and there is a lot of, but I don't know. The, the reviews for it are incredible. Like people just love that game. So can you? Um, and also not to be confused, there's another game called the Cat Lady, which is made by Rose City Games, which is like a cute cutesy shooter game that the lady they're talking about <laughs> is a very very dark story uh about uh is it a haunted lady like are you talking about the cat lady yeah what what is so yeah I, and you can join in too jesse and ted like what is about this game that uh people are so hooked on compared to like so many other games that are uh, actually i would say uh because of how real the game feels when you're playing it like uh mm. the way it's written it's just done so well and because it explores all these themes like all these like really dark stuff but the mm. way that it's all presented is like it's still very believable and it all makes sense uh and you just you care about all the characters right it's just like 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 a really well-written tv show uh the game was it, it, i would i would like i don't know too much about um i forget who made the game but uh I would say that like he uh, definitely like went through some stuff that he put into the game, and you can feel that when playing it. So like it, I, don't yeah. know, I just I'd say that resonates with some people. 
Yeah, and it has this really cool, like, dark atmosphere to it that's, you know, it uses, like, the photo ref art. So it, mm -hmm. it has this, like, weird, uncanny, uncomfortable feeling to it, which I really like. Well, I also think that it has to do with the fact that you're expecting the game to be shitty and it's not. Um, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm saying that, like, kind of cavalierly, but, like, the game looks like a Flash game, like, and everyone expects Newgrounds Flash games to be, like, terrible. Um, so when you play it and you're like, oh, this is actually, like, really good, like, it, like the, the expectations are pre-lowered by all the shitty games that came out before it. And it came out eight years ago, too. So it's also not, it's almost, uh, it's going to be a decade in two years. So it's not a new game and it has a ton of reviews. It's one of those games that, would you say you have to play it for yourself? Yeah, I think you have to play it to really, really get it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's also part of a trilogy, but I haven't played the other two. Yeah, it's like Cat Lady, and then like Downfall. I think Lorelei, right? Yeah, Downfall was the first one. Downfall, that's it. Yeah, not Downfall. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, the the fact that people were expecting it to be worse and then it's better, like you know, you get a lot of, of of leeway with that. The problem is, is that you know, once one of those good ones comes out and it's good, everyone after that is then retroactively compared to the, the highest bar rather than like all the shitty ones that came before it, you know? Yeah. yeah. I just think it's so easy to make like, here's a spooky jump scare, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, and then people put skeletons and ghosts and rats and spiders in their games and then add creepy monsters. And they think that's what makes a good horror story. So it's really interesting because I feel like you guys are trying to do more than that. Like maybe you're trying to go deeper into like the psychology of a human and trying to connect people instead of just, uh, put some spooks in there yeah for sure we i think as a team also we're not that like jump scares have a place but like we we try to avoid doing that in general just because it feels like a cheap trick kind of yeah um, what do you guys think about amnesia i really like amnesia yeah i really yeah. like soma actually mm. soma yeah. was great yeah I really like that. The one, the one critique I do have of Soma is that, like, I binged on it, so towards the end, um, it felt a little grindy with like avoiding enemies. Mm -hmm. But I absolutely love that game. Oh yeah, it's a fucking awesome game. I, I got a chance to interview uh, Thomas Grip, who's one of the founders of the studio for a previous pod, and it's. So it's really cool to see kind of how they do things because, um, like, Amnesia was wildly successful. Uh, same with Soma. Like, their games now, they do fucking great. Um, and they were kind of put into this position, like, very, very quickly, where they were, like, way more successful than they expected. So I was like, what do we do about the sequel to Amnesia? And they're like, well, we don't have any good ideas, so let's publish it, I guess? Like, they went from being... Because Penumbra was published by... Their first uh, game, Penumbra, was published by something else. Uh, I can't remember what company published Penumbra. And then they're like, you know, we're going to go the independent route. It's probably going to not do very well, but we just don't want to deal with the publisher again. And so they independently published uh, Amnesia, and it did, like, wildly successful. And then they went to being a publisher on uh, A Machine for Pigs. And it's just, like, it's kind of crazy to see kind of, you know, that one big hit can really change how you view uh, your studio and, like, how you view yourself and, like, the product you put out, you know? And, and the cool thing is is that they've stayed small even through that. Like, right now with uh, Amnesia, so Soma was made by, like, 16 people, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah and the amnesia rebirth is 25 people working on that and they just like haven't really like 
you know, like Bloober Team is at like uh, 90 employees now and they just make like, you know, Blair Witch. But, uh, uh, well, they're actually making a, a number of things. So but... uh, super hot. Say again? So is super hot. They're also around that size. Yeah. And what do they make? They make like a, a game that takes like 15 minutes to beat. Well, I mean, there's a lot more to that game. And they, they made that game, the VR game, and then c- Control. But it's all the same, uh, like, world. It's all the same kind of game. Just So they're, they are going to talk about doing, like, a new IP, hopefully. <laughs> well, you know, I was lukewarm on Super Hot. What? Uh, <laughs> that was a good are joke. You... Okay, 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 sorry. Yeah. I was like, I, got, I took you seriously. That's my fault. That was That's a great joke. Cat. That was a great joke, guys. Never take that seriously. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, how do we get to this topic again? What were we talking about? My brain uh, just exploded. Studios, professional games. Oh, like, right, right, right. Um, so that's actually something that I was going to ask is, you know, the game space is very weird because um, if you're a rapper, right, and you come out with, like, a good song. <laughs> a rapper. Right, but if you're, like, this is just a good example because there's a lot of rappers, um, like, wannabe rappers out there. But if you're, like, a rapper and you come out with, like, one good song, like, you can make your entire career off of that. Whereas with indie games, it seems like even if you have a hit, that doesn't necessarily translate into sales for, like, your next project. Um, And I was just kind of wondering if you guys had, like, what kind of your relationship with uh, the success of your products is, what you've kind of seen uh what like versus expectations because like you know the the purpose of this pod is supposed to be to like give people actionable advice on like how to do their own video game stuff but you know like with the success of of like sally face did you see that now people will buy whatever you work on like how does that work um there's definitely a percentage of people who are like that like oh buy whatever you make type of thing um and some streamers do which is really cool um but it doesn't it doesn't translate as much as you hope it does like for example like we had a mirror coming out and i thought like well this is great you know i had the success of sally face maybe i can get these guys to also buy a mirror and i pushed it pretty hard on my platforms but like they just they don't bite on it yeah <laughs> it's yeah i mean something funny about a mirror too is we even had uh we did a kickstarter which uh, unfortunately the Kickstarter failed, but we actually had Markiplier play the demo uh, before we launched the the uh, Kickstarter, and it did not help the Kickstarter at all. Really? <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. That's it how it is. Help. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. People see this is a misconception because that worked like maybe 2013-ish, like that sort of era. An influencer could play your game, and that would be big. But also, like, kicks, yeah, here it is for any developers who's listening right now. Like, I do marketing professionally. So, um, so I've looked at the numbers. I've looked at the data. I've talked to other, like, big game studios, like, people at, like, Finji and, like, Adult Swim Games. And, at, and uh, I go back and forth with them of, like, okay, so what's working and what isn't working? So if I was a developer nowadays, Kickstarter is not good for funding. Like, you know, it's good to get your name out there for marketing so that people can see that your game exists because there's less people on Kickstarter than there is on Twitter. Um, But it's there for marketing, not to get like a lot of money. So if I was to do a Kickstarter, I would have a small amount of money, like $10,000, not try to get $80,000 on Kickstarter because it might fail. 
also with influencers, a lot of people, they're, they're watching the personality of the content creator. They're not there to watch your game. And so just because the influencer is playing it, that doesn't make people want to pick up the game themselves. Uh, and in fact, a lot of people say, I'm so glad this content creator is playing this so that I don't have to buy this, you know, so that it saves me some money. So um, basically, as a developer, you need to be like a lot smarter with like how you do marketing. So you're not just depending on all these outside forces to get your 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 marketing out there. Um, and, and I feel like maybe it's like Amir is just too different from Sally Face, because uh, what appeals about Sally Face may, may not necessarily be appealing about Amir, if that makes sense. But you oh, probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I do think that is part of it. Yeah, I was actually going to say something along those lines, Star, which is that, like, it might be the fact that, like, Sally Face, the reason it got so popular was because it was so out of the box. However, the curse of it being so out of the box is that when you then make something else, like, people are looking for a very specific new box rather than, like, the, the, the wider variety of boxes you'd like to be crafting, you know? Yeah, and, like, having, like, putting every, like, no matter what game you make, you have to put it into a context that really appeals to people. Um, and again, like it didn't used to be like this uh, several years ago for the indie market, but nowadays with all the games that are coming out on so many different stores and platforms, uh, you really need to nail not only the themes of your game, uh, and, and but also like the context that you're selling the game in. Like, uh, so like if you were to give me like the elevator pitch of a mirror, like I'd like to hear your elevator pitch. Oh, uh, do you want to do it, Steve? You want me to? <laughs> All right. <laughs> so elevator pitch. Okay. It's been a while since we did this one. Uh, <laughs> all right. So you play as this character named Will who's trapped inside of a, uh, a mansion and he can no longer find the uh, exit. And uh, he has to go through these different doors that lead to these other dimensions to find these other characters where he can choose to either uh, save or destroy uh, these, these other characters. Um, Meanwhile, while unraveling the reason why he's stuck in this mansion and how he can escape. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, because, I mean, who doesn't love, like, haunted mansions, right? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I actually think the elevator pitch, like, that idea of, like, going through the different doors and stuff, people always seem to enjoy that uh, idea. It's a really good game. I thought it was really cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, no problem. I always got your back, bros. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so back to this question about fraudulent Kickstarters. Um, how many Kickstarters do you think are fraudulent then? Since like, uh, if we're doing it just for like ten grand, because um, I've noticed this trend of Kickstarters that are like, oh, we're just trying to get, you know, some money now for translations, like for localization. So they'll have this Kickstarter even though the game is like almost done for like, you know, twenty thousand dollars, and and then like like I'm looking at this one right now for this game called Game Deck. Right? Uh, have you heard of this game, Game Deck? No. I'm linking it in the chat. It actually looks like a really cool game. It's from uh, Poland because all the video games are from Poland now. I don't know if you know this, but <laughs> all new true. video games are from Poland. Um, <laughs> and it's about this uh, gaming police officer who like goes into different games to solve uh, real life crimes that are com being committed in the cyber world. Uh, and it goes through all these different like zones. Like So it's basically, there's like six different zones and each of them have their own mechanics because they're supposed to be different video games. So like one of them is like a farming simulator, so there's no combat in that even. Um, but anyways, it was asking for $50,000 just for, um, like localization and stuff. And it got the $50,000 in the first 36 hours. And, you know, it went up to like $170,000 of the $50,000 goal. Um, but it's, it's just weird because 
like I, I'm wondering if it was just all like a complex advertisement, you know, like they had the $50,000 set aside to funnel into the game and then be like, Hey, you know, this one already, uh, you know, we have the $50,000 funded in 36 hours. Look at everyone's so hyped about this, you know? That's exactly how businesses do it nowadays. Like I had friends that worked in AAA and they had this game idea, but instead of quitting their AAA uh, jobs, they made a trailer. So they made just enough of a game to, to make a trailer. And basically the game is called uh, Pray to the Gods. So it's a like Shadow of Colossus type of game. Oh, you know those people? Uh, oh yeah, I'm really close friends with Brian, the CEO. Oh, I've been looking to, uh, for who to swindle about a code for that, so. Oh, okay, I can ask Brian to give you mm -hmm. a code. Uh, so anyway, so he basically told me that he wasn't about to quit. He's got like children, okay? He wasn't gonna quit his day job. Uh, unless he knew that this game was going to do well. So he did a trailer for Pray to the Gods and it got 40,000, uh, 400,000 likes, like views, sorry. And people were just begging for a new Shadow of Colossus game. And so it wasn't until he saw how popular the concept was, the idea behind it, then he quit his job after that. And a lot of people who do like marketing for, I, I look at uh, not just the game industry, but marketing for other industries. And if you're going to sell like clothing or like any kind of like drop shipping, like things like on Amazon, um, what you do is you put out a fake product and then you just see if people are going to like it. And then if people actually do like it, then you're actually going to make it yourself. Like, like a t-shirt company, for example, you don't actually have to make the t-shirts. All you have to do is do the design. And if people want the design, they can pre-order it and then they can make the t-shirts later, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think that kind of approach to game development is very valid. So you're not wasting years of your life uh, on something that people may not like in five years. Yeah, yeah that's the eternal conundrum. <laughs> <laughs> it's smart, yeah. Yeah, no, I was always just kind of in, like because different indie studios have so such like a wildly different experience based on their sales or you know how much money they get from various different income streams or whatever. That I'm always kind of interested, like you know how that that fan base, you know, carries over from product to product. Um, not like, not even necessarily for like business reasons myself, just because I'm kind of, I'm always kind of interested in like how fandoms evolve. Um, because like, there's a certain point where you like completely lose, ba lose control over your fandom. Um, like where it's like, it's completely out of your hands. Like at this point, the Resident Evil developers have like no fucking sway over what their fans are saying about them online. Yeah. You know? yeah. True. And when you're small, you can still be like, hey, here's a story. This is the direction that we're going. This is my opinions on this and stuff. And, like, the fans are, like, cool, and they're interacting. But there's a certain point when, you get, when you're getting bigger where they're just, like, they're all expectations and there's zero humanity to the interactions. Yeah. Have you, you, got, mean... have you gotten to the point, Steve, yet where you have uh, crazy wild rabbit fans that can't view you as a human? <laughs> I do have those, yeah. But fortunately for me, it's, it's a small percentage. I've had... <laughs> Pretty much a pretty positive experience with my fan base. Uh, yeah, there. I mean, yeah, there's a small percentage of people who kind of come at me yelling, and I just block them. Yeah. Because I don't want to deal with that. Like, you're not trying to start a conversation with me if you're coming at me with insults, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Why, why do you think that... Well, I have my theories of why people do that, but uh, why do you think that? I think um, it's... It's partly a sense of entitlement, and I think also just, like, they get really attached to a thing, and then if it doesn't go their way, or if there's, like, a, a you know, a new element to it they don't like, or they think should have went different, 
um, you know, like The Last of Us too, like how that's getting a lot of hate right now because people didn't like the direction they took it in. Um, yeah, they, people got really attached to the fictional daddy. Yeah, I think that's the thing is like people get really attached to the games and then if you, if you change it in the way that they don't like, they feel like slighted, like you did something wrong to them. But it's, I don't know. It's like people don't have an open mind to say like, well, this is how the artist took it, but it's not what I would have liked. But instead they want to get on the internet and scream, you know. And you know what's funny is like when I talk to other professionals, like they never critique like other professionals like that. Like they're never like, like, oh, this movie should have been like this or this game should have been like this. Like every professional I know is respectful of other yeah. people's creative decisions. Except for Quentin Tarantino. That dude's an asshole. <laughs> oh. I mean. He's I, notoriously he, an asshole. He, he has what? very strong opinions on things. Oh, okay. I, I guess I don't pay attention to him enough, but uh, <laughs> he, he can be the exception because he's Quentin Tarantino. He's a yeah. but I mean, I'm to not... be to be fair, Last of Us Two did kill off their main character. I mean, who would do that? What game would ever kill off their main character? That's a terrible Pardon idea, me. right, Steve? Yeah, good question. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying, Ted? I'm not saying anything. Uh, okay. I'm just saying that canonically, I believe that Sally Faith ended in Episode Four because Episode Five was too off the rails from the original story. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. You need to hire someone that'll listen to all of the, the hate, all the all the angry people over time, <laughs> and then just, like... It's, it's like, it, it, in case you ever get too famous, you know? Like how Caesar had the guy that would, like, every time he won a battle, it would stand behind him on the chair and be like, this too shall pass, or whatever. Like... Just like all the hate comments on Twitter whispered into your ear whenever you're having a good time, just to keep you humble. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody should make an app for that. <laughs> um, uh, what's what games do you guys like? Do you guys play video games? When we got time, I did just finish The Last of Us Two. The first one was like one of my favorites. Um. So I was excited to play this one. I was too. And uh, I liked it. I, I think The Last of Us 2 is one of the best games I've ever played. It's really solid. The characters are crazy, just the artwork for the characters. Like, it's insane. Yeah, I don't know. I, I get why people are divided on it, but I think as a game and as a piece of art, it's pretty incredible. Well, here's the thing is I don't really... See, that's the thing is that you're saying I get why people are divided on it. I actually don't. Um, because the, the thing that people are saying why they're divided on it is because the story is, quote, bad. That's what they're trying to say. And well, that it's, it, it's bad because they killed many zombies and bad guys. And because at the very end of the game, the thing happens and then the ending happens. I'm not going to go into Last of Us 2 spoilers here. But I find both of those arguments to be, like, rather bullshit. Because if you're playing the game and you get to the ending... Like, it's pretty obvious, like, how we got to the ending we got to. And the only way that you could be feeling that the story was bad is if you're, like, 110% on Ellie's side. And the only way that you're 110% on Ellie's side is if you're very sad because... Many zombies and bad guys. ...died. And, like, you, you, are that, you are similarly filled with rage and you can't let that go which in in ways in a way would be the most beautiful storytelling ever if the game wants you to feel the same rage that the character's feeling that being said 
Um, I do believe that most of the people that are complaining about it are complaining about it because uh, their favorite streamer complained about it. Like, I see this a lot. I see, I, like, I'm on these forums. I'm on this, like, I'm on these discords and shit. It's, like, just a lot of people looking for reasons to justify why they don't like it. And I always have to be like, wow, I mean, like, I'm not saying that, like, you're prejudiced or anything or sexist or homophobic for, you know, not liking the game. But you certainly do in all these arguments and other threads that I see you in. You certainly seem to be adjacent to those individuals a lot, so. Uh, well, I have several thoughts. It comes at, there's no right or wrong answer to this, but it, it brings me to several thoughts. Like, one, it's okay to dislike something, but it's not okay to be, like to have an emotional attachment to it, you know, because it's just a story. It's a fictional character. So you can not like it. Um, and that's okay. Right. But you don't have to be yeah, emotional and angry about it. Like that's sending that's, death threats. Yeah. Like that doesn't like really improve. That, it's not constructive. It doesn't improve your life. There's absolutely nothing. There's no point to it uh, because they're not going to change it for anybody. <laughs> um, uh, but also, I think they're they're used to a, a certain kind of story. Like, there's been the same story that's been told over and over again about guys like Joel. Um, mm -hmm. And they don't like it when the, the story, the classic story gets changed up. For example, like, Metal Gear, Metal Gear Solid has kind of a gruff, uh, like, white man character as well. Yeah. And he's, he's always seen as, like, a hero or whatever. And, like, they didn't have that same outrage about Quiet. <laughs> as a character, anything that happened in the Metal Gear games. Uh, but, like, imagine if, like, like Snake got killed like that. Like, it's, like, absolutely, it absolutely be bonkers. And actually, I wouldn't put that past Kojima to do something like that. Like, <laughs> yeah, I also so, would not. Yeah, but, but it's just, like, just, they get used to a certain pattern where they think this is the only way to tell a story. Uh, um, and they're just not used to, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I, I still get like fan messages saying like, "Please, <laughs> please make another episode of your game that brings back you know such and such character that has died." Wow! It's like they, they can't accept that the characters died. Yeah. Yeah, they they that's and that's so. Here's what I would say about the matureness of the storytelling is that, and I, 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 I think that um, you'll find this across any fandom. So I'm not trying to say that like books are any better or movies are any better, um, but games are still like in their infancy in terms of like our capacity for storytelling. And mm -hmm. there's a certain expectation of like what kind of stories are going to be told in video games. So when you do something that's a little bit subversive, people feel um, like tricked or uh, like, like they can't, like the discourse hasn't evolved to the point where, like we can actually have the conversations about like the the depth of the story. Like, um, you know, it's funny because I'm actually making a video about this. Uh, the Last of Us Two is going to be our next um, like deeper dive spotlight. Um, but the kind of the conclusion that I've come to is that have any of you guys seen a movie called Unforgiven? No, but I know the Metallica song. <laughs> yeah, you mean yeah. the Wild West, the like yeah. Western? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, Steve, have you seen Unforgiven? Uh, no. So, say again. No, go ahead. Okay. Um, uh, the 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 plot of Unforgiven is like it's a Clint Eastwood film, and Clint Eastwood has been in plenty of westerns before. Um, mm -hmm. He's like the man with no name and the good bad and the ugly, fistful of dollars, all that kind of stuff. Well known for being the tough, grizzled hero type. You know, he he's got a very 
set character. Unforgiven was his most recent Western. I think it came out in the late 90s. Um, and basically the plot is that he's playing an old man who gets hired to kill someone. And he has like basically no reason to do it other than that he needs some money. And he's like, all right. And the whole movie is basically about the pointlessness of violence and how there's no heroes. And yeah. it, it ends, like, that has this great line towards the end of the movie where the, the sheriff of this town is, is gut shot. He's bleeding out on the barroom floor. And he's saying, you know, like, uh, I didn't deserve this. I was building a house. You know, I was, I was like, you know, I was living here. This is like my home and you're coming into my home and killing me. And uh, the char- the main character played by Clint Eastwood just says, you know, deserve has nothing to do with it. it yeah. Is, yeah, it's just violence. And that's the point of the movie is that, like, there's no there's no heroics to it. There's no good guys or bad guys. It's just, like, shit just happens. And that's kind of the story of The Last of Us 2 is there's no hero yeah. in it. I did kind of like that aspect of it because, like, um, in a lot of games that are similar to this, I kind of always joke around, like, oh, I'm just, you know, murdering all these people. Who knows if they're good or bad, you know? And they and they kind of dive into that. Even with little things of just having, like, the other NPCs yelling out the character you just shot's name, just random bad guys. Yeah, or the dogs. Aww. The dogs, yeah. The, the first time I saw dogs, I was like, you kidding me? You're going to have to kill a dog? Yeah. Yeah. I like when they were like, you don't have to kill any dogs, but you definitely do. You do, yeah. You do, though. Which is why I can't play it. Yeah, I, well, the older I get, and maybe it's because, like, since I've, you know, being a game dev, you play a lot of games. Like, I do, like, sometimes just for research, not to not for enjoyment, but just to see it. And I, I'm sure, like, Ted, as, you know, do, working in media, <laughs> Yeah. The amount of games you played has probably been astronomical too, and like you, I just get tired of the kind of the same stuff over and over again. Um, and like that's one of the things I'm tired of is killing like bears and wolves and dogs and and other kind of animals. And I'm looking for like actually like there's this new movement of wholesome games that I'm actually like ready for this. Like Ooblets came out today. <laughs> I'm totally <laughs> ready for this because I want some a new kind of experience. And I think uh, a lot of the industry is too. That could just be me, though, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's... I think that what you're saying, though, is... Like, The Last of Us 2 actually does do something new. Not necessarily mechanically, and not necessarily moving away from, like, the hyperviolence that we see in a lot of games. But, like, mm-hmm. there's there's a big... Last, Last of Us 1 and Last of Us 2, mechanically, are, like, basically the same game. I know there's, like, some additions and, like, differences, but, like... A little more action with jumping and, like, climbing. Yeah, but like they're they're pretty much the same game, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, but what is really different about them is the the focus of the story in the larger context. Because in Last of Us One, you're on a mission to save the world. Like that's that's like you're on a mission to save the world from the virus by delivering this girl. And along the way, you learn to love as a father again. And then at the very end, you make this decision, which I'm going to spoil the Last of Us here in case you haven't played it. Because so you don't you kill the the doctor to save Ellie and and regardless of whether or not that was right or wrong that was like the big debate at the time was like was Joel right it, regardless of if he was right or wrong there's no doubting that he was heroic in what he did like he acted heroically to save the girl he's still the hero even if he did something you might not personally agree with um you know and that's 
and that's in, in in Last of Us Two. There's no hero to the story. There's and you're not even actually a part of the main conflict. Like this is this is the weird thing. This is why I, I, when you said like oh, I see why people are upset, I actually don't get it because it seems like no one's actually talking about like the core tenets of the story, the storytelling and stuff. It's all the same six complaints that people have that seem to be roted in a lot of other issues that people have. But like the, basically the story is, is, is such that you're not the, the, you're not at the center of it. Like there's a war going on in this place where one side is planning to wipe out the other side and you have nothing to do with that. Like, you don't, you're, you're, it's all happening. It's all going on. And you're doing your own thing in context, in your own context, while this other, like, you're not a, you're not even a part of the big conflict that goes on. It just happens behind you. And that, it's because you're not the hero of the story, because there are no heroes in the story. And I thought that was very, very interesting. Well, a lot of the games that you do play, like, and I mean, uh, not Splinter Cell. Uh, what's the other game? Jesse, you know this. Um, the game where you're a soldier, but you're going crazy. Um, uh, yeah, Spec Ops, exactly. I so, but Spec Ops was okay, though. Like, people understood the, the spoof of that. Like, it was crystal clear to them. Um, but again, like, it, people are just, they play very few games, and they have very few narratives within those games of this, like, power fantasy, right? And they feel like Last of Us 2 took that away from them. Um, and so I, I just like there, there's a conversation that people need to be made about like they don't understand the storytelling, the creativity, because you know what, like years down the road, Last of Us 2 is going to be hailed as as art, you know, it's going to be there's going to be no complaints, it's going to be a classic, people are going to appreciate it. Um, people only only complain nowadays, right? Yeah. Uh, so like they like all they all the developers have to do is just hold out. All they have to do is just like steady, like stay steady and keep to their, you know, their guns, and eventually it'll all blow over. I think one thing that harms that is, like, actual production companies giving in to fan demands. Yes. Um, and firing developers, that really bothers me. That bothers me. Yeah. I mean, uh, Ted brought it up earlier, and, uh, I mean, a lot of people just, well, going off what Star said about people having just a limited narrative, a lot of people don't know to not see uh, people as heroes. Like, he, not every protagonist has to be good. I mean, you know, obviously, uh, Joel, we like him, but he's a deranged person, and he kills, uh, what, 500 people? And maybe it was Ted that said that, that somebody did the math, and that's like 8% of the humans living on Earth in the game. <laughs> Um, you know, so that, that's a problem with the audience and just people in general, people read Catcher in the Rye and they're like, oh, uh, Holden Caulfield, he's the hero of the story. No, he's not. He's an asshole. Uh, they're making a Rorschach, uh, show and yeah. people are going to be like, he's the hero of the story. It's like, no, he's not. He's a insane homeless man, uh, who yeah. doesn't shower <laughs> and is violently homophobic just a crazy person even alan moore is like yeah he's a crazy person um but you know people still are like going up to alan moore and being like dude rorschach is me (laughs) and he's like get the fuck out of my face (laughs) there's a rom-com called 500 days of summer that's a rom-com and uh you know the, the whole story is about how the guy 
puts those expectations on this woman to be like she's supposed to be the one like she's perfect and then she ends up like not marrying him and breaking up with him and so the movie paints her as a villain but in reality he's actually the villain because he was putting this pressure on her to to you know get married and stuff like that when she didn't want that so like it's yeah so it, it happens in other medias too but yeah. people just don't what, recognize it what's that actor's name again joseph gordon levitt or yeah even he's like yeah uh uh tom or whatever the guy's name is tom is the villain mm -hmm. and still people are like oh that fucking bitch <laughs> <laughs> or get out like the uh, like they they then think that the girlfriend was the bad guy and get out and she was horrible yeah one other thing uh the dad and get out uh uh, in, in it, he says, like, I would have voted for Obama three times if I could. He didn't realize that was a joke. Like, he thought he was like, he thought that that line was like a, a sincere line. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes the actors aren't in on the joke, too. And that, uh, you know, amplifies the, uh, the, the experience. But, you know. Yeah. No, I... You gotta realize, like, that some art needs time to process, and video games are no different. Well, yeah, and that's the thing, is that I think that there are certain pieces of media that do take a while to kind of percolate in the collective conscience, so that people, like, to the point of understanding. And, um... But it's it's difficult, because, like, the one... It's it's always a, a gamble to to try to make something that's unique and different and that people might resonate with someone because it could also make like zero dollars when you could just be like hey this is a this is man shoot seven you shoot men and and then there's like a patriotic trumpet will play in the background and then every time you die there'll be some vague anti war message that you think we're deep and that is literally Call of Duty <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah people just take away the wrong things from stories. Um... We just I need thought... a hero. It's like, and it's it's just it's a res it's a result of our. I don't know if it's something ingrained in humanity or if it's because of our like nationalist mindset. Like, I don't know if this is something oh. that can be conditioned out of us, but well, we we need like people need a a hero in their stories, and it's just like, and they can't they don't even recognize that they're so like dulled down. It's like when, when Joker came out and they were like, is this going to lead to a wave of mass shootings? Because people can't like, and the people that are saying that are always like, they don't realize that what's inherent in their statement is that they're like, I'm too dumb to figure out that the protagonist can be a bad guy. So everyone's too dumb. And it's just like, no, most like there's, there's, there are people out there that can distinguish the two, but um, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, I, I want to fix the world and I don't know how. There's like many stories uh, before modern era that they didn't have good or bad. It was just all neutral. Like, especially if you look at like mythology of like Greek mythology, there was, there was some heroes in Greek mythology, but there's plenty of stories where there were no heroes. Well, um, it also begs the question of what is a hero? Like, cause that's changed throughout yeah. time. Like when, when, when Zeus became a, like a goose and like had sex with a lady, we're like, wow, that's like super gross. But Greeks might've been like, fuck yeah, Zeus, you're a baller. Like, we don't know what their, their, their like methods, <laughs> like their value set was for like judging people. Oh, that's exactly well we do know what their value set is because they we have their writing so we know what yeah. they cared about and a lot of, was, a lot of pedophilia there oh, was God. a lot 
but yeah, he definitely was a like a, the epitome of like male dominance basically in society. And they the you know what male should be. He was like the. But, yeah. but but we really don't know because well we have some of their writings but not all of it and so much of it has been translated throughout history that like we basically don't have any texts that exist now that haven't been heavily altered or translated by various monks and friars over time. Like That's not true. Uh, we have plenty of uh, original Greek texts, mm, and like also what? things from different languages from the Greeks because they you know were expensive but they're like society thanks to Alexander the Great. So we, we have like direct, yeah, we know exactly what they were like and what they thought of. Mm, yeah, I mean. Now, if you're talking about some like other societies, we don't know. Like if we're talking about like Carthage, like Rome did a really good job of making sure that we don't know hardly anything about that. The Carthian Empire, we don't know hardly anything about the Minoans. We don't know hardly anything about like the Samaria compared to like the Egyptians and the Greeks. So there's other cultures and societies that we don't know as much about, but with Greeks and like the Norse Celtic people, we're, we're pretty good. Okay, but if you were to read one of our books, like a modern day book, or, you know, a snapshot of our media, you would probably assume that like everyone hates uh, Russia and is really into Jesus, but like that's not what like the actual life of an individual living in our society is like. I don't. Like, agree that comes with that up very, at all. very I'm infrequently. So I just don't agree with that at all. What you just said. I mean, <laughs> but like the the historical text that we have, right? Like a lot of them are from the lens of whoever wrote it. So like, what is the lens that they wrote it from? Yeah, that's true, but I don't I don't feel like there's any one narrative that people are going to look at and say that you know this is. You know, this is how we all feel about Trump. It's all the same. Like, I, I definitely feel like there's going to be back and forth, just like how we feel about Julius Caesar. I think that the common individual thinks that Julius Caesar was a great man. I think the common person doesn't have a very complex view of it. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying that, like, most people don't have, like, a, a robust set of opinions on Julius Caesar. Well, I don't think they have a robust uh, set of opinions on, like, anyone, even, like, Tesla, you know? Um, like I just read about Tesla, how he was, had a gambling addiction <laughs> and I was like, well, I didn't know this about him and how he failed out of college. Um, yeah. And how he like ended his life, like renting out the top floor of some hotel. And he's like, I'm going to build a death laser up here. You'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I feel like, yeah. And that there's characters like Van Gogh too, where we all know, well, he's, you know, we all know what he's good, but we also know like his flaws that he had as well. So I, I feel like, uh, like as we're looking into history, like us as a culture, we're changing our minds, but we're not just like saying like, you know, certain people were bad or good. Like, I feel like we are starting to change where we're starting to see people as people right. and not just as good and evil. Like, so I feel like uh, we're starting to re-examine everything that we're, we're looking at and trying not to like just rush to conclusions about civilizations and people like we would have done in the past because we are starting to uh, want to see things for how they are and not just like through our modern lens. Yeah, uh, but, but I, I think we also have to be aware that the historical narrative of like what narratives we choose to accentuate is heavily based on our like like prevail prevalent culture. Like what, what, what kind of like, uh, hmm? kind of because uh, the culture that coming from Europe is different than the culture coming from like China or and So if you're talking about American culture, yes, but like, we're now sharing more information and we're becoming more global society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's totally true. That's yeah. I, I totally agree um, with that. 
so yeah so if you're, if you're talking about an archaeologist from like india like that's going to be very different from the american centric that you know version of what we're talking about so i uh, here's the thing and there's also a difference between again a professional person and then just somebody who read an article online <laughs> you know i've read at least several articles online so <laughs> you're nice <laughs> oh man okay sorry for being off track no it's fine that's what this whole yeah. podcast is about it's being off track sorry steve sorry mike you're good, you're good. No, yeah, problem i got myself a history lesson oh uh, yeah <laughs> i'm a nerd <laughs> what, what's what's your favorite greek god Steve, uh, you you uh, name a god, and we'll tell you how it's problematic and why you should be canceled. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> Hades. Hades wasn't that bad of a guy. That's not what you said would happen. Nah. Uh, well, stars googling how he's the worst, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's another thing that's kind of related to like going back to the artists and like how like fans kind of harp on the artists like um they can't it seems like some people can't separate like the artwork from the artist in the way that like oh this character is racist so the artist must be racist mm-hmm. you guys notice that like yeah no i i've definitely noticed that like uh, people tend to view art as a one-for-one representation of the artist's opinions and can't really see past the like so like if you if you have a character in your narrative that is a racist unless you are like painting them to like have like a comedy like a comically large head and like uh, exaggerated features that people can understand makes them bad then oh you know you must be like there's no room for nuance yeah yeah that's definitely true i'm not i don't think it's definitely true i think there's there's a lot of truth to that makes sense yeah i think yeah i don't think everybody's like that but i think there's a small section of people that kind of they latch on to like the villains or the bad characters or the bad traits of characters mm-hmm. and think that the artists inherently have those traits mm-hmm. which is just bizarre to me uh well i don't know like sometimes people have made stories and then it has like later on information it like the comedian Chris Dahlia, whatever, like always made jokes about that and people just thought it was jokes. And then all of a sudden it came out that like he was actually like that. So it's it's hard to know nowadays what people are actually like. I will say that like people like need to like realize there's a difference between image and character. Like, you know, like an image is just something that's superficial, like so, something like Tiger Woods. He had an image of being like the top athlete. And then all of a sudden, his character was actually something completely different than who you know what he portrayed to be. And so I feel like if people want to have integrity and respect of people nowadays because of the internet, then they need to have like their character be sound and not just the image they put out there. That I don't necessarily sense. that they think that their character needs to be sound. I just think it needs to be in line. Yes. Yeah. I'm. I'm totally. Yeah. And the re- <laughs> the reason is is because people have no concept of nuance. Like they can't. Yeah, they have everything has to be boiled down into these these little packages of right and wrong that like this is right. This is wrong. And they don't like they they, like, okay, here's here's a really, um, you know, basic example is like uh, the we talk about like um, Monica Lewinsky and uh, Bill Clinton, you know, they're like, well, what Bill Clinton did 
is is wrong. But then they also will say like, well, what Monica Lewinsky did was wrong, and she's like, there's no one over the age of forty that has any fucking sympathy for her, which is like actually disgusting because she was like very very young, and he was the president of the United States. Like, who wouldn't make the same fucking mistake, you know? Yeah. But people can't have like there's. Like, oh, I was young and uh, I regret doing it. But at the time, I also, like, you know, I didn't realize it was an abuse of power at the time. And, like, they can't fucking weigh those two. And they also, like, oh, well, you know, she deserves everything she got because, you know, she's a dick sucker or whatever. It's it's fucking terrible. And, and yeah. yeah, there's there's no there's no point for the complex of the complexity of character in that. or And, and then on the flip side, also, where they're, like... I, ha- I remember my mother and all the other uh, liberal mothers across the world, the whole the whole battalion of them, said, like, you know, Hillary was so strong for standing behind Bill that whole time. Because in their worldview, uh, uh, the, the wife is, is someone who puts up with the whoopsies of her idiot man-husband, and that is, is the woman's lot in life is, I just have to struggle through all this. When, in, like, in reality, it's probably the case that Hillary Clinton doesn't give a shit who Bill Clinton has sex with, as long as it's not hurting her political career like they could have an open marriage that whole thing came out about like will and jada having this open marriage and people are like wow so like you know like will's a cuck and jaden's an evil vicious woman and it's like who the like who cares not only who cares but like you have no concept that someone could have like a happy loving marriage that's just like slightly different than the happy loving marriage that like you have but the, because people are, they gotta boil things down into one or the other. And I, I do think media has a lot to do with that. Like every sitcom had uh, the wife that was a certain way, and then the the quote unquote idiot husband, like Family Guy, was a spoof of that. Yeah, um, God, all the sitcoms does... were fat, fat man, hot wife. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the it just, media does affect us. Like it does, like get into our subconscious, and it does you know, have an impact on this, even though people want to say, oh, it's just a TV show. I don't really care, but it, it does matter actually. Yeah. The kind of stories that we tell. And look at Steve goes and makes a game with a person wearing a mask and now people are wearing masks. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Steve started it. Those two things are related. <laughs> <laughs> Had you made that connection yet? Am I the first one? Um, I don't know. I mean, I have thought about that because like, um, fans have posted like pictures of them in cosplay with masks on, you know, with the mask, the you know, mask over the mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you sell Sally face masks? I have a, uh, a Halloween mask coming out this year. No, 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 for like the pandemic. Oh, the pandemic masks. Um, I have a couple up. Yeah. Awesome. Make that money. I was gonna say like you really should have sold Sally face masks. That would have been. Like, really, really, like, this is the perfect time. Yeah, right? <laughs> and I guess I guess there's no rush, because it's going to be the perfect time for the rest of our lives, apparently. Oh, yeah. <sighs> the new normal. Yeah. I was going to say, at some point, I'd look forward to meeting everyone that works on these in person, but I guess that will never happen. I, I, mean, I, I was hoping to have, like, a dinner, like a Dread X dinner. What do you think about that, Steve and Mike? That'd be cool, yeah. Yeah, we'll fly out for that. So here's the plan. We get a bunch of money from selling these games, right? That's always the plan. But what we do is we buy a boat. And then when there's all these showcases and stuff, like E3 or whatever, 
Uh, what Devolver does is they rent out a parking lot and they like host their thing in it. But then you got to pay for food trucks, you got to pay for tents, you got to pay for all that stuff. Instead, we rent out the parking lot and just bring the boat, and then people can play our games on the boat. And then when the convention's <laughs> done, we can go out on the boat. And I'm talking like yacht size here, so we're gonna have to make a lot of money. So you guys are gonna have to oh, work. Oh yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's a really good idea, and you should all be here for it. I think we'd have to rent a parking lot still just to put the yacht in it, but you know. That's what yeah. I said. Is like we could rent the parking lot still. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. That cost would still be there. Um, but boats are notoriously cheap and easy to maintain. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Certainly, yeah. Yeah. Are there any boats in Pittsburgh? I actually don't know where Pittsburgh is. Is it next to water? Yeah, there's three rivers. That's like our thing. Ah, look at that. That sounds so cool. <laughs> it, what's Pittsburgh like? You guys are in Pittsburgh, right? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. yeah it's <gasps> you're three hours away from me. Yay. Midwest. Yeah, you're in Ohio, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yay. Yeah, I like Pittsburgh. Um I mean I've been I haven't been here as long as Mike, but I like it here. It's got uh it's got its own character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always forget, Steve, that you're from uh, Jersey. Ugh. Yeah. <sighs> that's unfortunate but there's nothing you can do about that i'm sorry yeah you can't change that i'm from all over <laughs> <laughs> yeah i have never been to pittsburgh because i'm not from there no because you live in west coast where like a lot of people think it's the only part of america that exists <laughs> well like so i'm from san diego which if you've ever been here you'd be like why would you leave and i'm like i don't know i yeah, don't know why i would but, uh, I mean, but you haven't, yeah, Pittsburgh has actually the best convention center I've ever been to. So. It's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. It's, nice it's pretty nice. They don't use it as much as they should. Yeah. Um, it has, like, a beautiful rooftop viewing where you can look at the, the, the rivers that come together. So you get this mm -hmm. beautiful view. And then on the sunset, you see all the boats come out and the water is, like, glistening. Uh, and there's also the stadiums and all the houses on the hills. It's gorgeous definitely a big uh, sports city yeah. <laughs> Ooh, yeah well maybe someday when we host the the dread x con okay we'll be able to host it at the pittsburgh convention center yeah, the onto the rivers the uh the dread x collective dread x collective there we go anyways uh we've we're almost at two hours now we should probably wrap this up so I, i'm gonna do that then i'm gonna do that now <laughs> <laughs> we're now wrapping up uh steve and mike of wither studio your game is called uh, touched by an outer god and uh how'd you come up with that title hmm. uh we wrote down a bunch of title ideas and uh the touched by an outer god <laughs> i i kind of wrote it on there as a joke but <laughs> <laughs> at the time i think we were still thinking it would be kind of more maybe more of a serious I, I don't know i don't know what were you thinking about the the game like uh but we decided to kind of do like a comedy skew and that's why we we're like you know what that that title is like kind of perfect yeah yeah it was kind of perfect because your game is kind of perfect and this whole collection is kind of perfect yeah there's a lot of cool stuff in there oh yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 i'm really excited for everyone to get their hands on it uh in august when it comes out um, early August, which we need to get the trailer finished so we can announce an official date, but it'll be coming soon. Mm -hmm. So everyone at home that tuned in to listen to Steve and Mike and myself and Star and Jesse, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
Uh, the Dread X Collection Volume 2 will be out uh, pretty soon, early August, on Steam uh, and itch.io. We also, and if you want to see our previous collection, the Dread X Collection, you can get it also now on Steam and itch.io for just seven bucks. It's just seven bucks, ten games. This next one will be dollars for 12 games uh kind of like 13 games because of the launcher is also its own kind of game thing Ooh. and uh yeah so that'll be some amount of cash dollars that we are still trying to figure out but hey you'll be able to pick it up soon so uh thank you again everyone for tuning in and uh i will see you all when we get our next dreadx collection collection episode which will be uh one of the developers because i haven't figured out who i'm forcing to do it next so Bye. And by the way, you know, I sit on the stand and it get hot. I got a lot of, I got hairy legs that turn, that, 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 that turn, uh, 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 that, 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 that turn blonde in the sun. That, 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 that turn. And the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and drop my hairy legs down. So it was great. You have to watch the hair, hairy legs. Up again. Hey, look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my hairy legs.